the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A few years back, I was church planting in Massachusetts, and I happened to go to a Christian conference. And at this Christian conference, it was the kind of conference where it was a do-it-yourself name tag. You got to make your own name tag and draw on your name tag. And whatever it was that you drew on your name tag, the idea was that that little bit of flair would serve as an icebreaker when you were trying to meet people at the conference. So, of course, I encountered a gentleman, and he had on his name tag drawn a heart. And inside of the heart was a question mark. So, of course, as with the young child who's done a drawing, tell me, tell me about your name tag. And he wanted me to guess what it meant, and I couldn't for the life of me figure it out. And so when he said so cheerily, the answer is in your heart. That was his flair on his name tag. I, I was shocked. I'm sure he was very pleased with this, but I was so stunned by the falseness of what he said and believed that I was speechless, as if a bucket of cold water had been poured over my head. His cute saying was not at all Christian. His saying echoed not what we hear in Scripture, but what we hear all the time when we watch TV or go to the movies. I cannot even count how many times I've heard one character advise the main character, listen to your heart, believe in yourself. And the, the implication is that if you do this, all will be well. Well, it seems that we would love to hear this advice because in our fallenness, this is perhaps what we believe is actually necessary for life. Or if we don't consciously admit it to ourselves, this is how we often operate day in and day out, thinking that our lives are primarily dependent upon ourselves and our action on our behalf instead of upon our Lord and Maker and His action on our behalf. So listen to yourself or listen to your heart appears to be positive. It appeals to our emotions, but underneath that sugary sweet surface, we find a terrible lie. When we buy into this advice, our carefully crafted me-centric universe will come crashing down at some point sooner or later. And scripture cuts into this skewed perspective on ourselves and our own abilities. We see it in Jesus' words in Mark chapter 7. Even though we didn't read it today, Jesus says about defilement that defilement comes from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. If all we have to do is look within to find the answers, our answers are going to be tainted by all of that sin, the fallenness that we live with day in and day out. Well, I hear this dangerous trust in human nature also in the words of a New Age guru found online. And this is the quote from this New Age advice. We can make our way within to that still small voice of truth. Again, this is the quote. Bring your attention inside and listen to where you are directed to go. That is where we find truth, right at the heart of our own direct experience. Sadly, it's all too often, all too easy to confuse this idea, this new age idea of listening to our hearts 
with the still small voice of God. The thought is that if we can just clear away the clutter of our thoughts and our emotions, then we'll listen within to ourselves. And there, as we listen within, we will find surely divine guidance. Well, listening and listening to ourselves is good. We need to listen to ourselves and clear away that clutter within to be able to find out what we really want, right? I don't even know what I want half the time, or I don't even know how I'm actually feeling half the time. So that's a good thing to listen. But it doesn't mean that what we find there is divine truth. Uh, Woe to us if we think it does. Well, all too often, we find that this is the sermon that is preached when we hear this passage from 1 Kings chapter 19, that we must simply stop and listen for that still, small voice within, and then we will find God. But looking within, we are not going to find the purity, the holiness, the answers, the guidance, the truth, or even the peace that we desperately seek and that we need so much. So this phrase, the still small voice, it often gets preached on from this passage because that is the translation, the King James translation, that echoes in our common memory, even if we didn't hear it this morning. This morning from the ESV, we heard um, the the sound of a low whisper. Um, But we'll look at this passage and find out what does the still small voice really mean? Well, here in 1 Kings 19, we see the great prophet Elijah. He's fleeing from the evil queen Jezebel. Elijah and Yahweh have just won a dramatic showdown with the Canaanite god Baal and his prophets. If you've ever read the chapter before it, chapter 18, you'll find a magnificent display of the Lord's sovereign power over all creation and his willingness to go to great extremes to win back his people Israel from idolatry. Well, God has just won a huge victory as the scene opens in chapter 19. But now the prophet is terrified because the queen is out to get him. For fear of his life, Elijah flees his post in Samaria, which is in the north in Israel. And he runs south to the land of Judah. Full of doubt and despair, he there sits under a broom tree. And he asks God to take away his life. Thankfully, God does not give him what he wants. Instead, an angel twice provides the prophet with miraculous food and a good night's sleep. This keeps him strong, but doesn't change his outlook. Elijah keeps going south into the wilderness, right up to Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, to try to encounter God. The Lord speaks to the prophet, asking him, what is he doing there? And Elijah responds, saying, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I, even I only. Do you hear that echo? Twice he says this. Do you hear in Elijah's complaint his blatant self-righteousness? Just in the previous chapter, many Israelites returned to worshiping the Lord after God's demonstration of great power. But in his misery, he exaggerates, and Elijah forgets all of those other faithful Israelites. God has worked through him to do amazing miracles, but he cannot now trust that the Lord will protect him from Jezebel. 
Elijah is right in his divinely given cause to cleanse Israel of idolatry. But he's become self-righteous in thinking that he alone is righteous. He misguidedly believes that God's divine mission depends solely upon him. Well, in response to the prophet's complaint, the Lord does not give him any assurances. There's no there, there, it's all right. Instead, the Lord God himself appears to Elijah. And throughout scripture, whenever God comes down and reveals himself, all creation reacts almost violently to the presence of its creator. When the Lord appeared on Mount Sinai before to give the law to Moses, through Moses to the people of Israel, the whole top of the mountain was shrouded in a devouring fire, and then the mountain trembled. When the Lord speaks to the long-suffering Job, late in the book of Job, responding in chapter 38 to Job's complaint, the Lord speaks to him out of a swirling whirlwind. And in the Psalms, when David calls out in distress to the Lord in Psalm 18, the Lord comes down and he comes swiftly on the wings of the wind to intervene. And at his presence, the earth reels and rocks, and a devouring fire came from the Lord's mouth. When the prophet Ezekiel in exile sees the glory of the Lord there in Babylon, He sees fire flashing continually forth out of a cloud brought by a stormy wind. Winds, earthquakes, fire, all manifest the presence of the Lord. We saw a lot of that this week with all those storms. Well, here too with Elijah, there is a hurricane force wind followed by an earthquake and then by fire. But the same phrase is repeated three times, that the Lord is not in any of these manifestations of his presence. Wind and quake and fire accompany him, but his very presence is not found in the drama, in these violent forces. No, after all of these appeared to Elijah, a weighty silence, a pregnant pause, if you will, and a gentle fullness there after all of the hubbub, Like the eye in the midst of the storm, there was the Lord. And this here is where the King James translates a still small voice, or the ESV, the sound of a low whisper. But the point behind this phrase, whether it's a silent sound or the sound of silence, is not the point that we so often hear preached, that we need to shut up and listen to God. Or worse, that we need to silence our hearts to listen within and there find God. The point is instead that in the midst there of some intense, even HBO-style drama that Israel and Elijah have both experienced, there in the midst of all of that, God is still in control. And in his presence alone can be found that wonderful peace that passes all understanding. This peace, the peace that passes all understanding, is so different from the peace that the world understands. Even those um, in its brokenness, the world decides that the way uh, to find peace is to achieve it through an inner work or to achieve it outwardly among each other. 
This betrays a damnable self-reliance, doesn't it? We hear it too in the words of Eastern um, gurus. I hate to even quote Eastern thought up here, but you hear it in the words of Buddha, peace comes from within, or Gandhi repeats, each one must find peace from within. Or from the Dalai Lama, we can never obtain peace in the outer world until we make peace with ourselves. This idea of creating peace inside of us becomes a work, something that we must do, another thing heaped upon our shoulders. But 1 Kings 19 shows instead that the peace of of the Lord is so drastically different from this elusive inner peace that Eastern thought preaches. As powerful Lord and sovereign God, Yahweh is the one who brings an end to all the conflict and drama that exists outside of us and within us. And he does it once and for all in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Peace cannot be found within. Peace that is true peace comes from outside of ourselves. When we look at scripture, we find that peace or shalom, is something elusive that encompasses the absence of war and conflict. But it also points to something fuller and richer. Peace involves a deep sense of well-being, no matter the circumstances. Shalom is promised by Isaiah with the coming of the Prince of Peace. At Jesus' birth, we hear that angels proclaimed to shepherds that now, at last, there would be peace on earth. And then later, Jesus, in the upper room, promises that he will leave his disciples with his own peace. And then when we look on in the New Testament, in the epistles, when the apostles like Paul or John or Peter greet Christians in their letters, they write, grace and peace be unto you. When they do this, they're alluding to the fact that true peace is actually the inheritance of all Christians and not something we need to scramble to look for within ourselves. Peace is something we walk into because of what God has done for us. Indeed, he was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We who have been justified and made righteous By faith in Jesus Christ, have peace with God. He himself is our peace because he has made peace by the blood of his cross. This is true peace. This is the kind of peace and the answer to all of our questions when we find that peace outside of ourselves in God himself. And this is what we have in our liturgy when we pass the peace which we'll do in a moment after we confess our sins. As broken sinners, we find and hear God's pronouncement, the pronouncement of God's forgiveness upon us. It's no mistake that after we have that assurance of peace with God, we can then offer peace to one another. And then at the end of every single one of our services here at the Advent, the minister will stand up at the front and say, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. This is the kind of peace that comes from knowing in the great words of that Easter hymn. In Jesus Christ, 
the strife is oral, or the battle won. We hear it too in the hymn that we just sang. That first verse, that stillness of our soul comes from knowing who God is and what he has done for us. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our Prince of Peace, thank you for the peace that you have purchased for us with your own blood. And let your peace that is beyond our reach and comprehension break through, break through the drama or conflict that we create. Let your peace break in through the debris of our anxious thoughts. Let your peace quell the storm of our own selfishness. For your glory's sake and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.